This is a WTOP original podcast. From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The Capitol riots, a bonanza for the U.S.'s international adversaries. Russia and China and Iran and North Korea. This only furthers their own propaganda information at home. And they have a good basis of being able to say, well, look at the United States, you know, not quite the bastion of democracy it's made it out to be. Retired CIA officer Douglas London. So how do you find those responsible? The irony of this is you hear about things such as people getting banned from Twitter or Facebook or Parler. From a national security perspective, from uh, uh, an intelligence perspective, no, we don't want that. Mark Polymeropoulos, also retired from the CIA. On this program, we take a look at what happened and how to find those responsible. Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. Russia could render huge harm to this country. North Korea's secret missile capable of reaching the whole of the United States. Dangerous terrorist. D.C. is repeatedly mentioned as someplace they would like to seek an attack. Cyber criminals. Decryption successful. America has a target on its back. And on this program, we investigate the threats, the people behind them, the agencies fighting them, and the impact on you. This is Target USA, the National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. The events of January 6th at the U.S. Capitol took most of us by surprise. It was bizarre and shocking, but for some American citizens who live overseas, namely CIA officers who work undercover, this is normal in some of the places where they're posted. So we asked two of those people familiar with that kind of life who've retired to talk with us about what happened on January 6th, about what happened, the intelligence risk, and figuring out who's behind it. Douglas London and Mark Polymeropoulos are both retired CIA officers. Our first question was for Mark. You were at the Black Lives Matter protest during the summer as a citizen. I'm interested in hearing you, Mark, explain to us what went through your mind when you saw, first of all, the carnage on Capitol Hill, uh, and then if you had any thoughts about what took place back during the summer of 2020. Sure. Thanks, JJ. It's, uh, it's good to be here. Good to talk to you again. Look, I think, you know, first and foremost, and, and I know this, uh, you know, this sounds kind of simplistic, but we, we have to make the point that, you know, Americans have a First Amendment right uh, to protest, to speak out. So whether it's, you know, Black Lives Matters protests, which I did go down uh, and take a look at as a, as a concerned citizen, but also someone interested because I'd seen types of protests like these uh, in the third world. Um, but even and, and even, of course, what happened on January 6th at the ellipse with just people out there protesting, you know, that that to me uh, is part of what what America and you know American values are about. That said, uh, you know, the uh, when when things kind of degrade into violence, uh, that's pretty disturbing. Now, let me say that with the Black Lives Matter protests, um, I was I was I was curious because of the massive security response uh, that had occurred in DC, you know, going down there, seeing buildings uh, boarded up, stores boarded up, National Guard deployed, um, various federal, uh, state and local security services, security agencies um, on hand. And so that was, you know, that was to me something quite interesting. Now, moving to January 6th, 
you didn't see any security presence. And, and to me, the real story of this from an intelligence professional, and let's put aside the incitement to violence and the political aspect, but as an intelligence prof professional, this was a spectacular security failure. And I wouldn't call it an intelligence failure because the intelligence was there, but a spectacular security failure that, that today that still no one has, 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 uh, has explained you know, uh, what happened. Doug London, um, you have been a very astute observer of what's been going on with the U.S. in the last few years, especially as it relates to the president, the president's supporters, as it relates to um, the view of the U.S. from the U.S.'s partners, but from from an intelligence point of view, as specifically, um, you have made a number of observations about um, how the U.S. has been vulnerable, is is vulnerable. Uh, I'm interested uh, in hearing first your, your observations about what took place on January 6th at the Capitol, and if there were, in your mind, any intelligence concerns, um, espionage concerns, or anything like that. There's a range of issues at hand that come to the uh, attention of the Foreign Intel Services, occurs what happened on January 6th. For one thing, um, our greatest rivals, autocratic nations such as Russia and China and Iran and North Korea, this only furthers their own propaganda disinformation at home. And they have a good basis of being able to say, well, look at the United States, you know, not quite the bastion of democracy it's made it out to be. It also undermines what we do as a country when we want to speak to human rights and freedom of speech as part of our outreach to countries around the world because our security is enhanced by others being aligned with democracy and, and the values that we, we claim to espouse. From a more tactical point of view for a foreign intel service, there were a number of benefits. One, they could look at responses, they could look at vulnerabilities and weaknesses, they could examine our chain of command or problems therein. They're getting all sorts of data in terms of people who they might be able to approach either under a false flag claiming to be you know, a like-minded person or by saying, well, you know, President Trump didn't see an issue with, with Russia and we're only trying to help President Trump as we've done before. So there's a number of opportunities there for them too. I would say on the other hand though, just to kind of balance it on both sides, it's a bit of a two-way street. Um, as Mark and I both know, we have a lot more delegation authority in the United States command, be it military, diplomatic, even ourselves as as station chiefs, where we have certain rules of engagement that we can act upon. So there's a risk for our, our rivals and our competitors that they might provoke something that they weren't expecting and it might go the wrong way as well. One of the things that I saw was that there were concerns about equipment that was stolen and the possibility that some of this equipment that, 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 that's, that's in the Capitol, which is, is sensitive, may have been sabotaged or damaged or, or uh, tools left behind to promote um, uh, espionage or to promote um, um, in, in, insecure uh, uh, devices and basically to eavesdrop and to steal. Do either of you have any concerns about that? So let, let me just, let me, I think there's two things to address in that. One is Traditionally, you know, a close access team that's going to do something like that, that's going to plan, you know, try and plan, uh, uh, an, you know, an attempt to, to, to plan, you know, technical devices, they need some time to prepare. It's really not done at the spur of the moment. So, so in terms of traditional means of, 
uh, of, of you know a, a technical attack operation. That would be a little difficult to do. That's not to say two things. One is that perhaps foreign intel services took advantage of this and scrambled and put some officers out uh, uh, on the streets and into the protests. Um, uh, and so that is that is entirely possible. But all of this, of course, is predicated on things we don't know yet. Was this pre-planned or not? So if the investigations suggest that there was a significant amount of planning, perhaps a foreign intel service could have taken advantage of this. We're supposing right now that, that things, in, in fact, just got terribly out of hand. So I think we have to take a look and see uh, after the investigation takes place. And then, and then finally, there certainly will be technical sweeps uh, of, of, of the Capitol. Um, there's no doubt because, you know, there, there, were, there were unauthorized personnel in many offices. The one thing that just on a, on, on a last note, we don't know is, you know, did they get down into the spaces of the various uh, 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 intelligence committees, the oversight committees, which are really insecure spaces and skiffs. Uh, and so, uh, so that, that at this point now is not something that I'm aware of, but that would be, uh, uh, you know, a bit concerning as well. Doug London. Yeah, I, I Mark's comments are spot on. You know, it's uh, there's no evidence that they got into any of the skiffs and any of the secure spaces where classified discussions are supposed to take place. But you know, a whole lot of business is done in the offices of our representatives, our senators, and our congressmen, as well as their staffers. And there are always you know risk of classified conversations being conducted elsewhere. You know, Mark's right. It takes planning for an operation like that to try to plant a device. But these days, the way commercial technology is, uh, as Mark was suggesting, if there had been planning, there's any number of commercially available means that some of these folks could have used. As it is, I think it's gonna be a while before every crevice of, of that building is, is searched for not just you know audio attacks, but God forbid weapons and explosives and such in the future. Even though you know this appeared to be a, a riot that was, um, basically facilitated by a group of people that were, I mean, they seem to be very unskilled uh, and very um, <laughs> angry people that were looking uh, for a way to make their point about um, the election. And, um, you know, so basically it seemed to be benign on some fronts, but it was a deadly riot that ended up with people you know, obviously killed and, you know, people, a lot of people were injured. We haven't talked a lot about people being injured, but a lot of innocent people were injured. The, you know, the police, you know, there, 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 there are images of police being beaten, you know, objects, I mean, flagpoles, uh, hockey sticks, fire extinguishers thrown at them. But the thing that I wanted to point out was that all of this was captured by some type of media. And I saw in some of the images that I happened to get a hold of a lot of technology, there. So are there any concerns at all that some of these people not being connected to some foreign power or any, any power, but just being able to actually perhaps even accidentally um, steal or capture or alter things that could have some national security significance? Doug London? As, as Mark and I have been saying, it's, it's likely they didn't get into classified spaces, but who knows what folks take on their laptops and their computers. And we do know any number of those devices were, were stolen. So at least you're looking at sensitive, if not classified information, having been compromised and could also be used for other purposes, leverage, coercion, if there's anything embarrassing, anything, anything awkward. Uh, clearly, uh, among the crowd, there were people who planned. And there were people who intended to come down there. We're seeing press reports of threats on chat boards where organization was taking place with sort of it being a foregone conclusion there was going to be an assault on the Capitol with the likelihood of violence. 
people don't take uh, plastic zip ties and weapons and Molotov cocktails unless they plan to do something with them. You don't just go to your normal protest with that sort of thing. So I'd like to believe that was a minority of the crowd, but it doesn't take much to, to cause that sort of mayhem and, and danger. And, and I think we're going to continue to learn about what the, 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 the real impact of all of this was over time. I would just throw in my greater concern is all this is, I think we woke up on January 7th, and I don't want to be hyperbolic, but somewhat like we woke up in September 12th in the United States where the page has changed. We're looking at a different landscape. To your point, JJ, I think we have a risk where if more of this anger and hatred and, and belief in the illegitimacy our government is driven underground, so rises the increase in the potential of domestic terror from these folks, either as lone wolves or operating in cells. And I don't know that as we stand today, our intelligence and law enforcement communities are prepared for this new landscape. We're not talking about lone wolf jihadists. We're, we're not talking about you know racial profile, God knows, which we shouldn't be using anyway. We're talking about our neighbors who can have the same experience of radicalism that we've seen from foreign jihadists. And that's gonna be a new world for our communities to deal with. And I don't know that we're, we're ready for it quite yet. Yeah, Mark, anything to share? Sure, you know, there, so, so Doug is, is 100% right. And look, so Doug and I spent our careers uh, primarily in the third world, you know, the Middle East or in Africa. Um, uh, and, and, you know, so much of this is based on the events post 9-11. I mean, you, you know, we had, we had very legitimate counterterrorism concerns uh, after the events of, of September 11, 2001. You can make an argument we, we not only changed the fabric of our country, but nearly bankrupted our country in multiple wars. Uh, but it turns out the most seismic event, which you could call a political 9-11, you know, occurred uh, where there's an internal domestic threat. And so I think there also has to be a, a real realization uh, that while, you know, the CT wars, they're not over. We still have to have a very robust counterterrorism presence um, uh, overseas. But there's a rot. There's something seriously wrong with this country. And I think that's that's something that, you know, we need to have some humility, some self-reflection that perhaps the enemy is within. And Doug's 100% right. You know, one of the things that, again, you know, we, we both worked at a relatively, I'll say, conservative organization in the sense that I have plenty of friends who are Democrats and a lot of friends who are Republicans as well. Um, you know, my, my post-agency life is very focused on things I do around sports and with baseball. I have a lot of friends who are conservative. Uh, and I have a lot of friends who I think, frankly, probably sympathized with what happened. Uh, uh, on January 6th. So I think, I think there's an internal problem, an internal rot in this country that the incoming administration is, has a huge uh, uh, challenge in, 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 in which to, to address, to tackle. You know, we can't push it aside. We can't sweep it under the rug. There has to be accountability. And then we have to figure out what's happening with this country. You know, the, Doug and I, I think, worked overseas always with the idea of, you know, whether you say it or not, the idea of American exceptionalism. You know, we were the bright shining city on the hill this was things that we used and frankly to recruit foreigners to spy from us so i think sitting back now you know maybe that 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 notion is not as accurate we have serious internal problems um and uh and and we have to we have to address them head on what happened at the Capitol on January 6th, and what's the U.S. intelligence fallout? We're talking with two retired cia officers about it and when we come back We'll get into the question of how to find the people responsible. 
Have you ever heard that story that Napoleon used the Egyptian Sphinx for target practice and shot its nose off? Or maybe you've heard that a French astrologer named Nostradamus correctly predicted nearly 500 years of human history. Or maybe someone told you that the legendary blues guitarist Robert Johnson sold his soul to the devil at a crossroads in Mississippi. These stories are what I like to call historical myths, great little tales that may or may not have any basis in historical fact. On Our Fake History, we explore these historical myths and try to determine what's fact, what's fiction, and what is such a good story. It simply must be told. If you dig stories about death-obsessed emperors, lost civilizations, desperate sieges, voodoo black magic, and famous historical figures you thought you knew then Our Fake History might just be your new favorite podcast. Still not sure? Then stick around to the end of the episode today to hear a teaser episode of Our Fake History. If you dig it, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Back on Target USA with Mark Polymeropoulos and Douglas London, two retired CIA officers and decorated, I might add, retired CIA officers. We're talking with them about what happened on January 6th at the Capitol, the intelligence bonanza that the U.S.'s adversaries like Russia, China, North Korea and Iran and others reaped from that hours-long situation that played out on national TV. But we also want to figure out how to find the people responsible. You know, one of the things that I find very interesting about all of this is that a number of the people who were engaged uh, in what took place on January 6th at the Capitol have been identified. And I'm wondering, you know, especially, you know, some of the people who got into certain places into the office. And, you know, there's been some some reporting and, and some of this reporting is starting to pick up steam that some of these people had some help from folks who work inside the Capitol. And I'm not talking about, you know, uh, necessarily staff. I'm talking about their, 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 their indications that people may be members, may have helped in some way. So the question I want to ask you is, is, is again about the foreign intelligence, the, the, the foreign espionage aspect of this. What's to stop people from some of these countries that are adversaries or even friends from seeking out these people who've been identified uh, and then working their way through the progressions to get to other people. Um, does any of this concern either of you? Yeah, I, I would go back to what I was saying earlier that I think there's so much data out there on personalities right now that's publicly available or can be easily accessed through data capture about sympathizers, not necessarily those who were there, but those who are connected to those that are there, as you suggested, JJ. And, and, and you know, Mark and I are case officers. So, you know, in, in, in the most, you know, brazen way to say we're, we're predators. We're looking for people who have access and motivations that we can take advantage of. And so much is going to come out of these investigations, for better or for worse, that I think foreign intelligence services are going to have a great deal of data to do their target analysis 
to identify people that could help them towards whatever end it may be, either contingency planning for attacks if you're a transnational terror group or even, you know, an adversary who has to think in terms of off the shelf for the future or folks that are just trying to conduct collection and maybe conduct other sort of technical attacks. But, but Mark, I'm sure has other thoughts too. Sure. And I, I think that what we're going to see over the next, you know, coming days and weeks is two things. One is, you know, I, I, there, there certainly might be uh, foreign intelligence services, foreign actors who have in some way funded some of these extreme right groups. I mean, we saw this, you know, even back to how, you know, the Russian intelligence services took advantage of, of efforts to, to fund and help uh, the NRA. Um, this is back in, in you know, pre-2016 and, and the whole Russian interference issue. And so, so that, is, that is entirely possible. And that's what our adversaries will do. They'll look for those weaknesses. You know, as Doug mentioned, all you need to do is look at LinkedIn. All you need to do is take a look at someone's Twitter feed. I mean, you can, you can, there's a, or Facebook feed. There's an enormous amount of targeting data that you can get to, to, to further exploit. But, but again, I go back to, I don't want us to take our eye off the ball that we have serious internal problems in this country. And, uh, and I think that, that if, we, you know, if, if, if there are foreign actors who have taken advantage of it, that has to be obviously investigated and there must be some sanction on that. And of course, it must be stopped. But make no mistake, you know, this, is, this is a different country right now. And as I watched on January 6th, all I could think of, and I'm sure this was running through Doug's mind as well, is, wow, this is the stuff that we saw in the Middle East. This is the stuff we saw in Africa. And the idea that this happened in the United States was was to me most unfathomable. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a incredibly depressing day on January 6th, at least for me personally. I had many of the same emotions uh, uh, as I did on September 12th. Um, and so I think, you know, the, the, this is a day of reckoning uh, uh, for the U.S. Um, because, you know, again, as I, as I said before, the idea of American exceptionalism, the idea of us going out to diplomatic receptions of, of helping, not necessarily lecturing, but kind of pushing other countries forward to accept our democratic values makes it a lot harder right now. Uh, uh, in terms of uh, what our officials have to do overseas. Finding the people responsible for it, are there any tools or tactics, obviously without disclosing sources and methods, that you two utilize? I mean, you're very good at finding things. As you said, Doug London, one of the things you did very well, and, and, and Mark, I know you did it as well too, based on what you told me and have uh, said in conversations before, you're very good at finding information and you're very good at uh, locating you know, things that you need it. So I'm wondering, um, what would you say to those that are searching for these people? How would you find them? What would, you, what would your suggestions be to, to, to assist in the process of finding these folks, Doug London? Well, uh, luckily, I think Darwin's theory is going to uh, aid and abet the law enforcement community for a lot of these folks who are streaming live while they were in the, the Capitol building itself. But, but, you know, going beyond that, these folks all did have electronic media with them. They were connected to cell towers by phone or computer, whatever it was. It's not going to be that hard to align what selectors were there, and law enforcement has every legal right to do that with the folks that they're looking for. And, and again, as so many of these folks have posted across, across the boards, the problem that is going to occur as these first waves of people, and we saw this in, in the fight, uh, the counterterrorist fight Mark and I did, where it was a lot easier chasing the first sort of waves of people down with what you had in terms of tools, and then they started to recognize what the threats to them were. So you're gonna see folks move underground, more to encrypted apps and, and take care of what, how they do. Again, I, I think as a matter of course for justice, we need to make a point 
I pursue all of these people that engaged in this horrendous act, but I'm worried about those who are going to be driven underground as they will necessarily be and rightfully be where it will no longer be God willing, popularly acceptable to be a white supremacist, to preach racism and hate. But those folks are going to be harder to find. And there are technical tools that we use in, in our fight abroad that we're going to have to look at in the context of civil liberties, what is appropriate. Because I think, as we saw after 9-11, there are trade-offs. And sometimes I think we have to take care that we don't go too far because once we start compromising the number of civil liberties that we, we hold value to, which our adversaries, you know, loathe and try to undermine, then we're sort of losing the battle from within. Sure. And, and you know, Doug hit on something that's perfect. So, you know, the irony of this is you hear about things such as people getting banned from Twitter or Facebook or Parler. From a national security perspective, from uh, uh, an intelligence perspective, no, we don't want that. You know, as that these are the best mechanisms in how we monitor these individuals. So that's the irony here: is that for clearly, in terms of propaganda and for incitement, getting these folks off these groups is a good thing. From the from the monitoring perspective, we love when we're on there because Doug's right; we don't want them to go to more secure apps where it might be a little more, uh, more difficult. One of the things that I saw. Uh, in comment, com, you know, commentary in the media as this as this was occurring, and there was people were very upset that a lot of these individuals were then left DC. They traveled back home. I wasn't worried about that at all because, as Doug said, you know, uh, you know, terrorists. We always joked about terrorists aren't the smartest people in the world. These are domestic terrorists, and so ultimately, uh, there's they have such a social media uh, footprint. Whether it's uh, whether it's you know what they're posting, or as Doug said, you know, selectors they're using. This will be quite easy, I believe. Uh, for law enforcement uh, to, to find out who is there. But going back to my, my first point, we actually want them on these open uh, means of communication because that's how you monitor them. As they, if they get pushed underground to, to more secure apps that the U.S. government may have some difficulty breaking or, or even worse, down to the dark web, that's going to be a lot more difficult. Any thoughts about this that I haven't asked either one of you that you think we should consider as we look at what took place, who did it, what their objectives were, the fallout from it and where we're going after this. I, I hearken back to our need to take a look at how we are going to ensure our ability to preempt this, these sort of events in the future uh, and, and deal with the fallout. Um, domestic terrorism is such a controversial issue. We don't even have domestic terrorism law. We have a definition, but we don't have a law. And law enforcement will tell you, oh, we don't need that. We have you know, laws about uh, weapons of mass destruction, which isn't how Mark and I think about it, like a nuclear device, but, you know, any explosive or, or device you might use to, to harm others. But law enforcement has a culture that's different from intelligence officers in that they need to generally either have proof of a crime having already been committed or something beyond aspirational because aspirational and freedom of speech get caught up, and rightfully so. So... How do we empower the, you know, a domestic agencies to have the right resources, to have the right authorities, again, all in the context of civil liberties, where they can collect information, which isn't just focused on prosecution and evidence to make sure that we can identify potential threats. You know, it's amazing to me, uh, and it's a foreign jihadist example, but Omar Martin, the Orlando shooter, he was under FBI observation for 10 months in 2013 but they could not pursue their continued investigation because he'd broken the law. They couldn't tie him to a foreign jihadist group and they had to let him go. From an intelligence point of view, you don't need to worry about arresting somebody. You just wanna be able to observe, are they going to become 
a threat from having been a person of interest. Now, there's a lot of lawyers and conversations that have to be involved to make sure we're protecting everyone's civil liberties when we do that. But there have to be some capabilities that we can exercise to make sure we preempt and don't just worry about cleaning up the mess afterwards. Mark, any thoughts? And so, so kind of my final thoughts, I'll go back to the, the first comments. Uh, as, I, as, I, you know, as I watched this live on January 6th, it, and again, it is, it is mind-blowing to me the lack of security preparedness that we had for uh, an event that was critical for the, for the uh, transfer of power in our country. I mean, January 6th was a seminal event um, after all the controversies that had gone on beforehand. And so you know, I, I'm really looking forward to a 9-11-style uh, you know, commission um, what's going to look at really the failures of the Capitol Police, the D.C. Police, uh, the, the Pentagon, including, including the National Guard. You know, already we see people are trying to deflect blame at each other. Uh, same, you know, same thing with the FBI as well, with DHS. How in the world did this happen, particularly when, as, I, and as you, you alluded before, you know, I was down there for the Black Lives Matters protest with a staggering police, police and security presence. But the fact that this did not occur on January 6th, I think, um, deserves incredible scrutiny, and there should be accountability for this. That was our conversation with Douglas London and Mark Polymeropoulos, two retired CIA officers, on the 13th of January, as we looked at what had taken place just a week earlier uh, at the U.S. Capitol and where we were going from there. We'll be back on this topic again on our next episode with a new angle. So be sure to join us. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments, send me an email at jgreen at wtop.com. Also, if you want to subscribe to my newsletter, it's called Inside the Skiff. You can sign up at wtop.com slash alerts. And also, please subscribe to our podcast, and uh, we would encourage you to check us out on Twitter. We're at TUSA Podcast. That's at Tango. Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. The 2020 presidential campaign in the United States was a pretty wild spectacle to watch, no matter what your political perspective may be. But there was one particular bit of rhetoric that jumped out at me. It was a criticism of Donald Trump leveled by Bernie Sanders that made use of a well-known historical tidbit. Here's what Sanders had to say. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Trump golfs. Nero fiddled while Rome burned. Trump golfs. The senator was riffing on one of the best-known stories from the history of ancient Rome. That is, that during a great fire that consumed the Roman capital in the year 64 AD, the self-absorbed Emperor Nero not only did nothing to help, but laughed and played the fiddle while his city burned. It's the kind of story that many people know, even if they know absolutely nothing else about Roman history. For a whole lot of people, the history of Rome is basically just Julius Caesar, beware the Ides of March, and Nero fiddled as Rome burned. So, in a way, it's not surprising that this story has proved so enduring. It's just too perfectly symbolic. 
If you need a historical example of the ruling elite being hopelessly and heartlessly out of touch, I mean, this is it. Nothing quite says, I could care less, like playing a jaunty little tune on the fiddle. But we really should ask, is any of this true? Did the Emperor of Rome really sit back and put on an impromptu hoedown as his city crumbled beneath his feet? Well, here's the thing. If he did, there was no way he played the fiddle. In 64 AD, the violin hadn't even been invented yet. The instrument as we know it today wouldn't come into being for another 1,400 years at least. To give you some historical context, Nero playing the fiddle is basically the same as Charlemagne shredding the electric guitar. In 64 AD, the violin was an impossibly futuristic instrument. But... We do know that Nero was an amateur musician and was particularly fond of an instrument known as the lyre, which was a small Greek harp. He was known to put on long recitals for his advisors where attendance was mandatory. So the original story was that Nero actually played the lyre and sang as the great fire ravaged Rome. But... There's good reason to doubt that story, too. The most trustworthy Roman sources inform us that the Emperor Nero wasn't even in Rome when the Great Fire broke out. In fact, we're told that the Emperor rushed back to the city as soon as he was informed so he could personally oversee the relief effort. So, Nero didn't fiddle as Rome burned, and he didn't play the lyre. He didn't sing. He didn't sit back all smug and laugh as his people suffered. He learned about the fire through messengers and did his best to respond. Now, that doesn't mean that Nero was somehow a good emperor or or even a good guy. In fact, he was probably one of the worst. But the fiddle, well, that just wasn't a thing. Nero fiddling as Rome burned is a perfect example of what I call a historical myth, a little legend that got wrapped up in the transmission of our history and often gets repeated as a historical fact. My name's Sebastian Major, and on the podcast Our Fake History, we explore these historical myths and try to determine what's fact, what's fiction, and what is such a good story that it simply must be told. The podcast is one part storytelling and one part historical detective work. I do my best to bring these weird stories from our past to life, while also asking probing questions about whether or not we should believe them, and how these misunderstandings took root in the first place. On Our Fake History, the goal is to celebrate everything that's weird and wonderful about the past, while also thinking critically and trying to grab on to the slippery concept known as the truth. If Our Fake History sounds like it's for you, then subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.